Doxus 3.1 and Wi-Fi 6, how fast can we go? This is episode 61 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxus. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm. With us today is John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. How was, uh, did you have Cisco Live, the tech event go off? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even have to cue you on that one to give a, uh, <laughs> a selfless plug when <laughs> someone else is plugging your stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Cisco Live was last week. And it, I believe it was like 120,000 people registered. I mean, what do you expect when it's free, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was. they said 53% first-time viewers or whatever, which makes sense, too, because they could never afford to go. So if it's free, then I can get good information. It was all centered. It seemed, even for me, it was new to me because Cisco is so huge, right? I'm, my microcosm is cable and doxis, but... And we're small BU compared to Cisco as a whole, 75,000 employees or so. But they talked about social well-being, the current state of affairs, the pandemic, capacity, security was a big one. There was announcements on WebEx and some new stuff coming out with WebEx. It was kind of cool. Wi-Fi, 5G was a big one. And I even listened in on a 5G one and it talked about service provider and, and how they, and I believe this will be true, 5G is going to work with and against cable. You know, in some cases, 5G might be your only option uh, to get higher speed data if there is no cable. RBU is looking at what happens when you're in rural America and you already have fiber out to this cow field, but they can't afford to put up a little micro antenna for 5G. But uh, maybe we can do 5G mobile backhaul over the Doxus network. So there's a case where I could see people with mobile phones and wired connections. It, that one's an interesting one because I always thought when I had satellite that, you know, how bad it was. I was like, man, if I had 5G, I would go to 5G and use my cell phone as a hotspot. But now that I do have fiber to the home, I'm like, knowing that you have a wired connection somewhere that doesn't get, get affected by any outside interference, whether it be RF, weather, anything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, snow, I think there will always be a nice a requirement for a wired connection. Now, in the house is a different story, which leads in well to what we're talking about, right? Next, Wi-Fi 6. And yes. where does that come into play? But it is interesting that you, because you have had the experience with satellite, and just recently, God, I'm drawing a blank on, his, on his, the Tesla guy. He's got approval, Elon, and I think some other, yeah, Elon, Elon Musk and his company, has gotten approval, and I think some other folks have gotten approval for satellite-based coverage in rural areas, and they're going to get funding from the federal government to do this under that Broadband Act to, to give coverage in underserved areas to do that through satellite technology. And I think that's really interesting because that really wasn't in a way that I would ever foresee covering underserved areas through satellite because Kind of based on your experience, a lot of our long-term viewers have seen how poor the video and audio can be real-time, coming from a, someone who's using a satellite, a.k.a. you, John. And then yeah, we were yeah. so happy when you finally got Fiverr and we got a nice, solid connection. So, you know, I think satellite technology can be really good. I'm kind of interested to see what the satellite technology that Elon Musk is offering is promising it's going to be low jitter at low latency, better That's performance than what we have right now. But... I really struggle to see how but, they can offer something Isn't it also that LEE, low Earth orbit? It is low Leo? Earth orbit, but I mean, you're still talking about <laughs> low Earth yeah. orbit. Still, yeah, 22,000 like 20, 22, miles. miles. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's still going to add delay and and late, late jitter and latency. Is maybe that's maybe that's how he's getting around the terminology. It'll be better than normal satellite. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, but it's going to be a challenge. But yeah, that's we'll see how it rolls out, and you know, maybe we'll get to see someone's see someone on that type of network. But hey, but with that with that that said, something's better than nothing. Yes. Could you imagine being in the middle of nowhere and, and not having, having dialogue? Any Knowledge is power, and this is where I think really we could all help from this industry with the social inequality stuff. Everybody needs access, and sooner or later, and someone even mentioned this, this will be thought of as a utility. Yes, it, we, I think you mentioned that some time ago. I have heard some conversations come up about that in the media. It's been brought up. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all rolls out. We don't out. want it to be. No, definitely not. Because then there's like requirements and there's there's control and all this other stuff and oversight. And and we like the free market. Yes. The market is like God is where we are right now. And uh, I have faster I think it's really incumbent on cable operators and telecom providers, both sides, to realize that as long as they keep providing really good service, it's not going to get regulated. If we don't provide really good service and we don't continue to push out in the underserved areas, the risk of it being regulated is real. So keep going, keep pushing, keep making the networks better. So on to our topic today, um, DOCSIS 3.1 and Wi-Fi 6. And, And John, you were the one who really brought in the Wi-Fi 6 part of this because I hadn't thought about that before with, you know, why should subscribers, why should cable operators buy new modems, upgrade to DOCSIS 3.1? Adding that Wi-Fi 6 component, I think, is really critical, and, and we'll get into that later on into the in the show. And you mentioned we don't know about a lot about Wi-Fi 6. I've actually done a lot of research in Wi-Fi 6, so I've just got some t- t- statistics. We'll get into that later on. But overall, um, I think this aspect of the show of, you know, DOCSIS 3.1. We have DOCSIS 3.1 networks out there. We have OFDM out there. But understanding at what point do we have enough 3.1 modems that it actually starts, where's that inflection point of getting enough 3.1 modems out there that we're taking advantage of DOCSIS 3.1 in the downstream? And then I think the ancillary to that of why we're talking about Wi-Fi 6 is some of the new 3.1 modems out there come with Wi-Fi 6 enabled, which is Adding that Wi-Fi capability, we'll talk about that shortly, lets you take advantage of the higher speeds that we get with DOCSIS 3.1 within the home. So, John, I guess I'll I'll let you maybe take a first stab at this and your thoughts of why should a cable operator start buying DOCSIS 3.1 modems? Maybe why should a homeowner think about buying a DOCSIS 3.1 modem when they already have a really large supply of 3.0 3.0 modems out there, and a subscriber maybe already has purchased a 3.0 modem. They've made that investment. What's the reason to to start buying more 3.1 modems? And the other the other flip side or argument there would be, as new technology comes out, the older technology gets cheaper. So there is a big advantage to buying 3.0 modems because they're getting a lot cheaper. Because as 3.1 comes out. They try to off the vendors start offloading the older 3.1 modems. Yeah, and and that, was, uh, that can be a trap, right? Because yeah. so I did look. You know, we talked about pricing. I think early on, and I did I did some canvassing of what operators are paying pricing for in 3.0 modems. The lowest price I found they can be as cheap as twenty five dollars for a 3.0 modem. And and these are I mean these are in bulk. These are like the cheapest of the cheap 3.0 modems. It's almost a chipset in a little tiny box with an F connector on them. And I would say they're probably not the best 3.0 modems out there. But if you want to go cheap, you can get really cheap 3.0 modems. A lot of operators for 3.0 modems might be paying into 35 to even up as $45 range for more quality 3.0 modems that you want running in a plant. And they may not include Wi-Fi in them, but they're still quality 3.0 modems that are out there. So if you're looking at buying in bulk, you get some good deals on 3.0 modems, whereas 3.1 modems, they're going to be starting at the very bottom edge in the $40 price range and go all the way up to you start getting the gateways and stuff like that, over $100 for a good quality 3.1 modem. 
So that can be a challenge for cable operators when they start looking at it. Yeah, I got to buy a lot of modems. I'm going to be renting these out. A lot easier to go to 3.0 modems. You're going to save a lot of money. And also for a subscriber, if they want to buy their own money, their own modem, it's going to be a lot easier to buy that 3.0 modem versus buying a 3.1 modem. It's a lot cheaper to buy that 3.0 okay. modem. So there's a couple of points there you kind of hit was what is the architecture in the house? And I do believe Comcast looking at, and I thought it was a good idea, and I said this a long time ago, as you get fiber deeper, how deep do you go? Fiber to the tap? So you have no coax and just drop line. Do you do fiber to the home, but you still have coax in the house? You know, we are trying to get fiber as deep as possible, eliminate the coax, especially if we want to up, upgrade your upstream frequency spectrum to potentially 684 megahertz, which is a lot for upstream. But a home gateway would be the way to go. If you eliminate all the coax in the house and it's all ethernet in the house and Wi-Fi in the house, there's no RF ingress anymore, right? It's You could still have some Wi-Fi ingress and frequency overlaps with your microwave or something or other Wi-Fi devices, it's open spectrum uh, over the air. But if you have wired Ethernet, then that's kind of a nice clean solution. Um, still got to wire it. If I'm looking at the typical house where there might be two or three modems in it, one modem for high-speed data and maybe some set-top box with a modem in it, now I'm like, I have a different problem. I have Dr. Set-top Gateway DSG. It might be a 2.0 modem in there. And that becomes difficult as well because every house now is three modems and not just one. And when you look at SID space, service identifiers, uh, every upstream service flow has a SID. And every upstream bonded modem that's doing something called SID cluster two to get better upstream speeds, it's using two SIDs for every best effort flow. There's uh, a lot of yeah, I didn't, Consider- I didn't think about which, particularly the DSG, the DOCSIS set-top gateways. Those are adding more modems. Those, those present yet another challenge. And I, I want to mention, you know, I didn't take into account European customers that are, so throwaway counts is they pay, they're paying about 80 euros, $90 or more for DOCSIS 3.0 modem. I think different markets are seeing different price ranges for the modems too, even, even changing on that. Yeah, I mean, in uh, I remember in Brazil, they had a 12% tax on hardware, 18% tax on hardware, and 12% tax on software. Yep. So one way around that was to start buying hardware equipment with no with a licensing capability. So that way you bought the hardware at the lowest price for 18% tax, and then you would start buying software features and stuff like that. It wasn't included in the hardware. That's more on the, software, you know, like on the CMTS side, or you're saying they're also doing that on the modem side? You remember on the CMTS side where you would buy uh, capacity on the old line cards, there was no real software or licensing. Right. But once you came out with a licensing idea, it's software, you could get maybe a lower tax rate. Yep. So, yeah, there's definitely tariffs and tax rates for international that are different. See a lot of concerns there as far as price goes. Back to the Wi-Fi coverage and stuff like that. I thought it was interesting when I did a, a cable internet out for 3.1 years ago, a year and a half ago. And Comcast, I mentioned, as like, would you guys, would Comcast actually deploy a 3.1 modem today, not knowing if it's been vetted out for upstream? Like, they knew they were going to offer one gig downstream. So 3.1 downstream was a must. I said, but what if 3.1 upstream, we need a second or third spin of silicon from Broadcom and Intel or whoever. Would you deploy today? I said, yeah. They said, basically, we can't wait. And one of the reasons they were deploying the 3.1 modems was not even for 3.1 capacity at the time. It was for the Wi-Fi capability, gateway, and the functionality. I was like, hmm. That's interesting. And how how do you see, is there a lot of push for gateways still? Because I kind of struggle with the gateways. At one point, I thought it was a great idea. And and, and the whole concept with gateways, you know, we're going to put all the video processing horsepower on the gateways. We're going to have dumb set-top boxes. We push all the video to the set-top boxes. I I just don't, oh, at one time, we're going to put DVRs in the set-top boxes. But all that stuff's going into the cloud now. And streaming is really changing everything because 
we're just not doing linear video in the way we used to do. So, I mean, you could look at it as the architecture idea is cool, but maybe not the whole idea of just a gateway. Yeah. Even if you just said, I just want to centrally locate my modem in my house and use Wi-Fi throughout my house. That's what a lot of people are doing now, right? But, I, you I mean, know, I don't I don't see that being as practical. And again, you know, let's talk about Wi-Fi 6 just a little bit. So Wi-Fi mm -hmm. 6 increases, you know, your speed by 25% at least. It, it gives us the ability, at least with Wi-Fi 6, to start getting close to or doing a gigabit per second. They, they say much faster speeds than that, but realistically, if we look at the bench speeds, the test speeds that like CNET has done, PC World Magazine has done, we, with Wi-Fi 5, the current 802.11 AC speeds, realistically in any home on the five gigahertz channel, you can typically get 400 to maybe 500 megabits per second to your, to whatever device you're doing, your laptop, iPhone, iPad, those are those are good speeds provided you're close to the access point. That's on 802.11ac, the, the previous standard. Wi-Fi yeah. 6, the new standard, 802.11ax is the brand new standard. It's brand new. It came out, I think, last September, last October, and now we're actually getting devices that we can do that. The testing that they're doing gets us up to about 800 to 900 megabits per second on real devices in real houses. However, you have to be reasonably close to the access point in order to do that. So to your point, if we get a cable modem with 802.11ax or Wi-Fi 6 in it, you really can't centrally locate that modem. That's kind of one of the things that I struggle and I would struggle as a cable operator or as a subscriber getting a modem with Wi-Fi built into it. As soon as you, unless you're just living in an apartment, you almost immediately are gonna start adding additional access points to that modem or a mesh network or something like that because the coverage of Wi-Fi 6, while well, it gives you great performance, you need to be close to it if you want to obtain those speeds. And with Doxus 3.1, we're saying we can do a gigabit per second in the people's homes. That means you want that access point to also do darn close to a gigabit per second if we're starting to look towards future-proofing us over the next couple of years. So the 802.11ac is both bands, right? 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz? And 5 gigahertz, yeah. And, and Wi-Fi 6... Also. Didn't they? And it's ironic is, you know, first of all, I heard Wi-Fi 6, I thought it meant 6 gigahertz. Yeah. And then 6 gigahertz was actually added in. So it does kind of mean it, yes. but it well, didn't mean it originally. But I think isn't 6 gigahertz band added in for Wi-Fi 6? I'm not sure what the 6 gigahertz band is. The big things are is with Wi-Fi 5, the current standard, 802.11ac, we have an 80 megahertz channel. With Wi-Fi 6, they take that 80 megahertz channel and take it up to 160 megahertz. So we've doubled that channel bandwidth. We've also increased, so we're using OFDM in Wi-Fi 6, similar to DOCSIS 3.1. We're also using, with OFDM, we're also going up to, I think, I think I have that in my show notes here, using TEP to 1024 QAM with Wi-Fi 6, whereas with Wi-Fi 5, we only did... 256 qualm. So, you know, there's kind of a lot of similarities between what's happening in Wi-Fi 6 and what's happening with DOCSIS 3.1. We have the bi-directional communications, so kind of like things with FDX. So things can, all devices can communicate bi-directionally in Wi-Fi 6. So, you know, we're looking at 25% faster speeds. We're having the bi-directional communication with all devices on the network. So the, the speed is much faster, much faster, much wider channels. But with all this, because the channel's wider, because we're doing 1024 OFDM or 10 
1024 QAM and OFDM, that's not going to go as far. It's not going to go through, and we're doing 5Gs to obtain these speeds. 5G, 6G, or you know, 5 gigahertz, 6 gigahertz is not going to go through walls as well as the 2.4 gigahertz. And 2.4 gigahertz, like what we see many places, is just so congested. It also gets impacted by things like microwave ovens and stuff like that. So there's fantastic Actually, let, let's, let's, re, let's reword that. Because it's inversely proportional to wavelength, a higher frequency is a lower wavelength. So a smaller wavelength actually gets through materials better, like an X-ray. It's just that the higher frequency incurs more attenuation. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. It yeah. gets attenuated. Right? And I've ex- I've actually experienced this. It's, it is surprising that a lot of people don't understand that, that you can't put your, your single cable modem access point in your basement and expect it to go up through drywall and, and sheetrock and stuff like that and go through walls at 5G. The 2.4 gigahertz will go through it. It doesn't get attenuated as much, but it gets so much impact from your your neighbor's access points, from microwave ovens, from a lot of other noise that's in that 2.4 gigahertz band. It would have been interesting a long time ago if they would have made the antenna a dongle. Like I see a lot of new developments where they put the modem and stuff in a cabinet. I'm like, you don't want to put it in a cabinet and close the door. Yes. You know, because it's probably blocking your Wi-Fi. It would have been cool to be able to take the Wi-Fi antenna out and like just put it outside your wall or whatever. So they, I mean, they do make external antennas for for some access points. And, and then sometimes they make these like really big antennas and they're like, oh, this antenna has 12 dBi of gain and stuff. But people sometimes don't realize that just because you have a really big antenna, that modem can transmit re- really high power and can also receive really low signals. But the devices that you have, that, that just means that it's going to be receiving and transmitting devices really, really far away. And and the, mo- the, uh, the Wi-Fi device kind of drops its transmit and receive power to the lowest common denominator. So that, that cell phone that it's picking up at your neighbor's house, it's not going to be communicating with it, and it's going to drop its RSI. It's going to drop its basically transmit and receive levels to that modem. So that's when you get into like modems, access points that have multiple transmitters and receivers, which Wi-Fi 6 also has, Wi-Fi 5 has that, but it's a based on your chipset. How many devices can it communicate at the same time? Another benefit of Wi-Fi so the other 6. Thing I want to point out was talk about the CPE and, and, you know, another thing that adds cost to the CPE would EMTAs. And I, I believe most of them have a built-in embedded multimedia terminal app for voice. You know, I saw a pattern of voice just dropping off because mobile phones. But now that people are working from home, a lot more EMTA UTS flows are occurring. There's a lot more people utilizing their voice capability if they have it in their modem. Whereas before, there was hardly anyone using it. Voice call capacity on CMTS was like show cable calls, 20 calls. Out of 50,000 modems, 20 calls. <laughs> you know, so really it wasn't being utilized much at all because everyone has mobile phones. Yes. But now that people are home, doing Wi-Fi calling. Mobile usage actually went down quite a bit. So you're doing Wi-Fi calling. They're doing everything online. They're doing, they're using their EMTA for voice calls. What scared me for a while is the people that aren't using EMTA for voice calls, but doing teleconferencing, just like we're doing right now. And this voice is the best ever flow over my modem. If right. I had <laughs> yes. So it's it's best effort, um, and and I you know that should be something everyone realizes that all of this, the video, the voice, everything is best effort. There is no unsolicited grant service for this because it's not controlled or managed by the CMTS and the cable modem. None of this is like in the MTA part of the modem, unless it is like you're you're paying for that voice service from from the cable operator. But it is still amazing how good it is. 
you know, we're not breaking up, we're not jittering, as long as the network has enough bandwidth to support it. Yeah, and that's just, the critical part. Uh, you just uh, jinxed us, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I think that brings us to the part of, of why, you know, if you have, say, 32 channels of SC QAM, that gives you a little over a gigabit per second of downstream capacity. 1.2 gigabits. If you have 192 megahertz of OFDM channels, that at, at say, well, 10, let's say 1024 QAM, because that would be comparable for the same MER of 256 QAM for those 32 SC QAM channels. 1024 right. QAM, same MER. You don't have to change anything in your plan in the downstream. That gives you 1.5, almost 1.6 gig for 192 megahertz channel. So now yeah. you, you put that 192 megahertz channel in, but you can't use it until you start getting DOCSIS 3.1 modems. And I think that's kind of the crux of the discussion here. What drives getting 3.1 modems so you can start taking the heavy users or any users off of those 32 SC QAM channels and move them to the OFDM channel range? Here's our choices, right? One, number of CPE out there that can use it. Two, allocating spectrum if you even have spectrum. And then third one cost. is do, yeah, cost. Cost is a driver. Oh, licensing of the spectrum, right? Uh, of the CMTS, the resources. Well, we're the, assuming it, we already have the licensing there because we have, you know, I've already said the operator put the 192 megahertz block there. Or, okay. Yeah. So you already had spectrum, you allocated somehow. Uh, you turned it on. You paid for it. That's why I think Comcast originally didn't do 192. They did 96. The number of CPE that could take advantage yep. of it. They're like, well, we don't have spectrum. It might be one gigahertz in some plants, but some plants are at 750 still. Yeah. So, so, so even if you put a 96 megahertz block there, because you have no 3.1 modems out there, you're still looking at what seven, eight hundred megabits per second on it. Well, Plus, they're cross bonding that with the existing 32 channels or 24 channels they already had. Yes. The single Eric Walms. So if you had 24 so two gig worth 800 and some megabits per second, and then you had another 700, that's 1.5 gig. You could offer a one gig service from a 1.5 gig aggregate pipe. Absolutely. So as not too many people are signing up for it. Yes. But, it, it depends on what your oversubscription rate is yeah. in that in that system. But that's so, still, you know, that that allows you to compete with anyone else around, especially if they're running fiber, they're saying, hey, I'm running, we're offering a gig service in our fiber network. You can compete directly with them. Part of this perception and marketing, right? Yeah. It's being able to go out there and say, yeah, I can offer one gig so that your customers don't jump ship and run over to the competitor. And, like, that, well, and that's, yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. So, but to offer that one gig, you've got to get a lot of your a lot of your customers three one modems and get them off the three zero modems. And and I think Correct. that's what what is the inflection point? How how do we have and, to look and, at that? How many modems do we have to get them over that hump? So I thought about that more on upstream because on the downstream side, you already told me you allocated some spectrum and you allocated a license, and it could take one customer. I mean, I'm still going to utilize that spectrum and maybe I can start out 24 megahertz and cross bond or really the whole point of DOCSIS 3.1 and deploying a 3.1 modem is to offer a peak speed. You're not worried about sharing a, a 300 meg service. It's because you need to offer a 500 meg service or a one gig service. I could offer a 500 meg service with a 3.0 modem, no problem. But if you need to offer a one gig service to not lose a customer, then you got to give them a 3.1 modem. Right. So it's there's a point where all it takes is one or two or a handful of customers for you to justify activating DOCSIS 3.1 downstream because 
you're going to do it anyway. And then whatever you activate, anyone else has a 3-1 modem can more efficiently utilize that spectrum because higher modulation schemes. You mentioned 1024 qualm. We have plenty of cases where I'm running 4K qualm. No problems. So I can get even higher speeds. And, and even a customer that doesn't need the higher speed, any traffic he does, he's on and off the wire quicker because he's doing higher modulation. So that means more time in the wire for other people. So, I mean, there's an advantage there. You could look at the latency or it's quicker. So, I mean, our, I was concerned with. I, I, I argue that a, a DOCSIS 3.1 modem, and, and I think you're saying the same thing, performs better than a 3.0 modem. So Correct. one of the aspects is latency, right? It's, it's going to have better performance, it's going to have better latency. It's going it's, it's to get better speed if it's locked to the 3.1 channel. Would you agree with that? I, I, I do and I don't. I mean, higher speed does not mean better latency. You know, just because you give something higher speed doesn't mean the snappiness is quicker. But if you look at the aggregate traffic within a home, you got multiple users, you got multiple people that are saying uh, that are that are you know one person's gaming while the other people while the other person in the house is watching Netflix, and then the third person in the house is doing a speed test. So, uh, from that perspective. I think I look back to what you're saying. You're getting you're getting that data down, and you're and you're getting off the network quicker. So, what's the overall impact in that subscriber's house? I mean, really, you're if you offer a bigger pipe than everybody's sharing, a bigger aggregate pipe, then you have less chance of congestion. If there's less chance of congestion, there's no backoffs, there's no resends. But in that in that case, you're fine. But if let's say there's no congestion and it's a a gaming flow that's only five megabits per second. It's like nothing. But if I make that customer do 32 channel bonding and that five megabit per second flow, I can make a case where that five megabit per second flow might actually show better latency and jitter results on single carrier, like a DOCSIS 2.0 modem. In some cases because where- it's not spreading traffic across the yes, entire downstream. Yes. Yeah. Resequencing of traffic, spreading of traffic interleaving on each one of them. There's cases where we can say, and case in point, when I went from four channel downstream bonding to eight channel downstream bonding, I had problems with voice traffic because the voice traffic was being bonded across more downstreams. And that voice downstream was like 115 kilobits per second, but it's being spread across multiple downstreams. When we came out with a command to not bond downstream voice, it got much better. Mm-hmm. So there's a case in point where I could say- You would want to do the same thing for any slow speed like game traffic. From a smaller bonding group. Yeah. You know, just because of latency and jitter. It, that one's still kind of up in the air about gaming. And I guess it also depends on the gaming application of how it really does. Gaming is a TCP application, right? You know, that's it, a good question, time. John. I actually don't know for I sure. Know. I, I know. I, you're absolutely right. Everything, you know, unless you're doing something like what Google's doing with their Stadia, all gaming is extremely small amounts of data that you're sending back and forth because it's all, all the processing is done on your computer. So it's it's basically just like mouse clicks and keystrokes or small it's small data. But, I don't know if it's but there's a lot of gaming going on and there's there's money behind gaming in esports right now. So this this is an opportunity for the industry. So back to your inflection point idea, I was more concerned on upstream because upstream we have limited spectrum. And if I can't carve out any spectrum for three one, and, and I wanna make this clear, I don't promote TAFDM at all, the time and frequency division multiplexing, where you share spectrum for 3.0 and 3.1 on top of each other, because it becomes very inefficient. You have to have guard time and and quiet time in between switching from a 3.1 and 3.0 modem. So I'd rather keep it simple, 
the old KISS principle. I'd rather allocate spectrum for 3.0 and 3.1, just like we do downstream. I'd rather do that on the upstream. But the upstream is so limited, the question that comes up is, at what point do I start robbing Peter to pay Paul? At what point do I take away a couple ATDMA to make more OFDMA? So I was just, uh, and I think we talked about this before, and I, I thought the inflection point to me, I think, is lower than what most people would originally conceive or believe. Like most people would probably say 25%, and I'm thinking 10%. I'm thinking if 10% of my modems are upstream power I, I would have thought it'd be much higher than that. I'm thinking 10%. And the reason why I say that is the old, I guess it would be an axiom. The old axiom, I guess, is 10% of your modems are eating up 85% of your bandwidth. That old saying where there's just a few heavy hitters that are typically using up most of your upstream utilization. Yep. Unless you're controlling them somehow, which usually we don't do that. We might do deep packet inspection just to see who the heavy hitters are. We could do subscriber traffic management to do byte counting and put them into okay. penalty boxes if they exceed certain amount of bytes, certain amount of time. But what I'm getting at is if 10% of the heavy hitters are using DOCSIS 3.1 modems or I give them a 3.1 modem, I could essentially push them into 3.1 spectrum, alleviate the 3.0.2.0 spectrum for all the other users to share it more efficiently. Right. And, and I think I understand where your 10% number is coming from, because we see this consistently operator operator where 10% of the traffic on the network is driven by 10% of the worst defenders in the network. And the other 90% are not doing that much on the network at any given time. And I do want to throw in here, because I think this is actually really relevant to the conversation from the chat room. They're saying most games are UDP, which makes a lot of sense. First person shooters and stuff like that. You click the button and shoot someone, you're not going to get a response. And then that's also why you start to see a lot of jitter and stuff in games, in for particularly first person shooters, because you're not getting that acknowledgement back saying I dropped that packet. So when you're in a highly congested network especially in the evening when networks are really bad that's that's when you really get impacted by gaming so it gets to be really really pro really really problematic and you start to get that lag so thanks uh throwaway accountant brian for that that information that's some good information there so and i, I suspect the game itself is udp yep. but the people that are videotaping themselves or videoing themselves playing the game and sending it on the upstream that's i don't know if that's udp yeah, you know what I'm so, saying? Yeah, the game itself is by UDP. You know, I, the, so we're doing a YouTube stream right now, and I think when you get packet loss the, on the, the stream that we're going to, to YouTube, th this is UDP. So Because we get lost packets, we get lost vo voice. It's not yeah, like YouTube true. says, hey, uh, please pause what you're doing right now on this live stream and retransmit whatever you just said. It's just not yeah. possible. Anything, it's not going to happen, anything man. That's <laughs> anything that's real time is UDP. Yep. Like, I even looked at that for a while to find out about, I, I've been doing doing a lot of Sirius XM radio over my Wi-Fi, but then I'm like, all right, well, Sirius XM radio is still a satellite, even though it's going through my Wi-Fi. They probably buffer. They just do a That's lot more you, buffering. Yeah, it, it's like the old CDs can, when you had a CD yeah. player in your car, yeah. and we're dating ourselves here. Uh, they, yeah. when you'd hit a bump, you get that skip, and then they started doing like eight times and twenty-four times over sampling on the CDs. Now you could hit a bump, and you yeah. wouldn't get the skip in your music. But while well, we're old, John. <laughs> but but on that side of internet radio, if you look at Pandora and Spotify, that is internet radio. Yes. That is TCP. I, I would bet it is because 
you you don't you don't hear skips not and stuff really like real that. time yeah yeah i would bet it is so let's get the 10 percent, and that makes it really easy for operators then because they can look at their 10 percent of high users and if they're they're leasing modems you just send that 10 percent doxes 3-1 users and get them off of your sc qualms eventually you can put an ofdma channel so in I'll, I'll give you an example we had a customer that implemented ofdma and Went from four ATDMA down to three. They just used up one 6.4 megahertz and opened up some spectrum in the roll off up 40 to 42 and opened up OFDMA. And then those 3.1 modems started utilizing. And our code, the 3.1 modems prefer 3.1 spectrum before they eat into the 3.0 spectrum, which is a good idea, right? Yep. So it doesn't, doesn't equally distribute traffic across all the cross-bonded channels. I don't even want that. I want the 3-1 modem to use up all the 3-1 channels. Dedicated to it. Yes. Before it starts eating into the 3-0, because everybody else has to share the 3-0 spectrum. Yes. Including, the, including like Docs' 2-0 set-top boxes you're just still exactly. going to have on a network. They're just going to use one so, downstream channel. Yes. So so that there in the, they did that, and they found that even though they got rid of an ATDMA, by moving the 3-1 modems and heavy hitters over to OFDMA at higher modulation, more efficient usage of spectrum, the utilization on ATDMAs dropped quite a bit. Not not the linear fashion you would have expected, right? Like if I have four channels all at 50% and I drop one, then technically the last three should go up to like 60 or 65. And they dropped the 50-50-50 down to like 35, 40, 40. Yeah, yeah. Drop, even though I got rid of 25% capacity for the 3 modem, but I moved those heavy hitters over. Right. You understand? Absolutely. So, so after from you- that, they said, maybe we'll drop another one. Because if we drop another one, and here's why I like the idea of two ATDMA and the rest of it OFDMA. Right, which is when what we talked about a lot. I think we channel, talked about that at the last show. Yeah, two-channel bonding, you gain 3 dB in max transmit power. Oh, yeah, that's right. We get that back in the modems. Yeah, so you get 3 dB back in max transmit for the 3.0 modem. Yes, particularly also, for the modems the drop- that don't have the extended transmit power ECN exactly. in them, which are... Yep, so yep. So max transmit power with four upstreams is 52 and a half 51. or 51 and a half 51 51 51 51, 51. all across all four 6.4 so when you go to f- two ATD amazing upstream now we get to 54 is that the max trans- yes. 54 yep. so that that can be the difference between a modem being online and offline especially in the summertime and it could be even if even if you have band-aids in there to keep a modem online we call it max channel power offset or power just continue having a modem hit the cmts lower than zero or lower than everybody else means he's closer to the noise floor yeah so that 3db could be the difference of running with no uncorrectable fact yeah i was gonna say cor- correctables uncorrectables yeah or going to partial mode yeah or going offline because the mer is bad yeah right? that's I had not considered that before. And, you know, and I think that's even important for people to understand. So I talk to customers like, hey, we're going to add additional upstreams in our return, but they don't realize adding those additional upstreams is going to cause modems to go offline because it's going to increase or it's going to decrease the max transmit power of those cable modems. So that's actually Correct. a really good and point like to a, think of, especially when you can do OFDMA. It's a power of two as well. Most people don't understand. If you go from one to two, it's 3 dB. Two to four, but if you go two to three, it's still three dB. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't do an, a, a logarithmic ten times a log of three, which is four point seven seven. The code and the docs of spec states that if you go from two channel upstream bonding to three channel upstream bonding, it's the same as if you did four channel upstream bonding. Right. You went above two. You might as well if you're going to do two, you might as well do four. Yeah. If you're <laughs> if you're going to do three, you might as well do four. 
right? Yeah. So, so once you go up two, so that same mentality is like, what happens when you go from four to five? From four to five, you might as well go to eight. Yeah. Because you went above four. That's another three D drop max transmit. Yeah, and we've covered that so, so many times. All, going yeah, going to eight is problematic. Upstream capacity by adding another ATDMA channel. I'm like, God, dude, man, you're, I, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> I'm like, I would rather you do Eight. less ATDMA and more OFDMA and maybe keep that to a four-channel bonding. Like and, and, did, yeah. and there are yeah. so many problems when you go to eight-channel bonding because of in-home amplifiers. And we see this, I, I see this in so many systems. So I, I think to your point, I'd rec- I think your recommendation would be just don't add those extra ATDMAs, just put that in OFDMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just avoid the problem altogether. Absolutely. And just tempting fate <laughs> and making no <laughs> problems. I can work around it. I have a lot of workarounds, but let's just revert back to keep it simple, yeah. you know? All right. Other thoughts. So, I mean, once once you get that past the first 10% of modems, just call it a day at that point and let, let the attrition of DOCSIS 3.0 take care of the rest of migrating to DOCSIS 3.1? I, I think there, therein lies the uh, the eighth layer of the OSI model, which is money, <laughs> cost. Uh, DBs <laughs> lies, and dollar bills. Yes, dollar bills. <laughs> so therein lies uh, the bean counters and the, what we just talked about. 3.0 modems are so cheap and getting cheaper. Yes. And 3.1s are remember. still really expensive. I, there's there's yeah. no question about it. And the architecture in the house. You might say, yeah, I'm going to give that guy a through on modem, but he still has two other DSG devices, so I'm not going to touch those. I'm not going to make them 3-1 devices because that's going to cost me even more money, and they don't need it because they're just using it for a control channel for the DSG. More people are looking at multicast, too, so now they are becoming more complex. They're not just doing control channel doxes for control, you know, 55-1 or 55-2 DSG. Uh, and, over- and so why are we looking at multicast? Just to just to describe multicast for people. That's interesting interesting too because i'm not really on the video side of doxis as much as other colleagues of mine but i will say this that when we have multicast set up a lot of that information is replicated and sent down every primary downstream and here's where customers do capacity planning and they forget to take into account the map overhead for all your upstream so more upstreams you activate the more overhead on the primary downstream and multicast overhead so when customers are doing capacity planning said oh well that single carrier qualm should be worth 38 megabits per second i'm like no it's more like 36 after you take the map traffic off and then they've like oh but i have a lot of multicast on there but there's only one modem doing it there's no modems on that that primary downstream it was replicated because all the primary downstreams had all that information replicated and it could have been like eight or nine megabits per second of overhead yeah i'm like man you just you just killed 10 meg (laughs) on every primary downstream if there's 20 primary downstreams that's 240 meg you lost yep i was like oh yeah that's a killer you know, understanding overhead and and uh, and then when we get into remote fi and distributed access architectures, does that overhead is it on the SIN? The SIN is the converged interconnect mm-hmm. network. And if you don't own that SIN, because it's part of like a WAN, like a Metro Ethernet or something, and you don't own that and you're renting it or leasing it or whatever, are you paying for traffic that's not, you're not reaping any benefit back? Yeah. For instance, that map overhead, that map overhead is for the modems, but that traffic you're paying for on your SIN, but you're not reaping it back from your customer because it's not DOCSIS traffic. You understand? 
Yeah, and, and this and sin, sure. which you and I committed many of, I'm sure, but for everyone who doesn't know explicitly what the CIN is, is the, is the communication between the, the CMTS in the head end and the remote PHI, RPD, remote PHI device that is in that, that thing. It's just basically how they communicate back and forth. And, and, and people will need to know those numbers for capacity planning. Uh, are they paying for that overhead and for the capacity planning of the the link itself. Yes. Probably a 10 gig link, right? It's. I think it's always a 10 gig link because you the, the remote phi itself is a single remote phi device is going a, at least a gig out of it. And normally you have multiple yeah, yeah. remote phi devices connected to that since. It's always going to be a 10 gig. Yeah. I mean, especially since SFPs have become much cheaper, yes. less expensive. So, so back to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, you know, I, I was looking up operators are still going to be getting DOCSIS 3.1 modems with Wi-Fi in them. When I was looking up, you know, what 3.1 mo- modems have Wi-Fi 6 in them? There is such a small list. Netgear, uh, the Nighthawk has them. Aeris Surfboard, AC2350 has them. The list gets really small after that. So there's only a couple of them out there. And I think something that cable operators are going to struggle with is they, they there's definitely going to be, you're always going to have subscribers that are going to want Wi-Fi built into their cable modems just because they're not, not all, not all subscribers are going to be able to manage their own Wi-Fi. So if you're, if you're an operator and you want Wi-Fi built into your modems, the list is quite small right now. So it's still going to be a matter of time before vendors are coming out with you get a, a wider supply of modems out there. I think that's going to be a challenge, John. I would say the other one is we've come back to analysis paralysis. Is like uh, you're sitting on your hands or whatever the metaphor I can use. Do I stay with 3.0? Do I do a 3.1 modem? Do I do a 3.1 modem with Wi-Fi 6? Or do I wait even longer for the next horizon, which should be, you know, Docsis 4.0 modem? <laughs> Embedded. Docsis 4.0 modem. Yeah. What, need, so, uh, have you heard? What, what is the timeline for Docsis 4.0 modems? <laughs> it's going to be end of the world this year anyway so <laughs> never the way 2020 is going whatever yeah i things have yeah, slowed down know. so I, much on the on hardware front of 4.0 with what's happening yeah, so yeah cpe um kind of come to a halt for fdx and but 4.0 is not just FTX anymore, right? 4.0 is extended spectrum to 1.8 gigahertz downstream, uh, increasing the upstream to 684 megahertz possibility. There's no silicon available yet uh, that I know of. It's it's like good, it could be a very long wait for 4.0, but I can also see why operators would want to say, I, I want to wait for 4.0 because I, I want to get extended spectrum. Maybe I want to do full duplex. There's a lot of a lot of reasons they may want to. And then you, but then you'll well. pay a higher higher premium, right? Yeah. New and if they, if they wait for 4.0, just imagine how cheap DOCSIS 3.1 modems will be. Chat room said there's another modem, the Cisco 93240-220V. It has 220 volts or 220V. I'm not sure, familiar with that modem, John, are you? They said Cisco, though, because we get out of the CPE. Industry. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it it's probably now under um, company's name. It's still in the same building. Who is it, Mia? Right. Technicolor. Mia yeah. says it's Technicolor. <laughs> <laughs> That's who it is. <laughs> there it is. Oh, I said that's that's an amplifier. Oh, it must be a, it must be a home amplifier because he was previously saying 85 megahertz house amps as a replacement for the 65 megahertz house amps. So we were talking earlier about the you know why not put eight ATDMA channels and I said the eight, the six the uh, 42 megahertz house house amps. But yeah, so that that's a house amp um, that he's talking about. Yeah. So on the front of Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi six CPE. Yeah, I don't see anyone going to hold out for a Doxus 4.0 CPE. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. It'd not um, be our recommendation. <laughs> and I think that that's the the other point was 
time to market. And I come to that realization as well as fiber to the home sounds great, but there's times where time to the market could be your limiting factor there as well. Yes. Like my, even my manager said, fiber to the home, you could argue is for Greenfield. Why wouldn't you do fiber to the home? But if you already run a Doxis network and you don't have the back office for fiber to the home, that's a hefty upfront cost to start from scratch. Like you already have a G-Pond, E-Pond back office and stuff like that. Greenfield, you're going to do fiber to the home all the time. You know, I don't know. I think that's a, I see a lot of operators, even small operators being able to get into fiber to the home with, there's like, even if you go out and get Unify equipment, Unify has like pawn equipment that small operators who have no infrastructure for fiber, they can jump right into it that larger operators can jump into that. I think fiber Mm -hmm. for Greenfield is definitely the way to go on that. You know, we're both Doxis guys. one, One more hold up is video yeah. unless you're doing over the top ip video you got to do something else right or you just and get out of video do- altogether. operators are losing money on video it used to be yep. sports uh, we were talking about this the other day espn was a great revenue maker a lot of things have changed just in the last few months video is a tough thing to keep man to keep That's sustaining the what and i'm not uh privy to all the costs associations with the broadcasters and all that, but they charge per sub, right? Yeah. Again, uh, Yankee Entertainment Sport, the Yes Network in New York. I remember there's a lot of problems with that. CBS, Fox, there's NFL Network. There's always negotiations about how much do they get from the cable company, right? Per subscriber. Yep. But yeah, I can see <laughs> this is one of those drinking games, paradigm shift. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Paradigm shift. It's like how... You know, how do, and I said this from the beginning, 20 years ago, we cannot afford to be a dumb pipe. If we just offer speeds with no, no thought to quality of service and content is king, someone else is going to use our pipe for their self. And that's what's been happening. Netflix is, well, you guys got a fast pipe, but I'm not going to kick anything back to Comcast. But Comcast might've got smart with it and said, I'll tell you what, we're going to work with you, Netflix, and to make sure that the customer has good quality for your application but then we'll share some revenues or whatever they're doing we, you know? we need good infrastructure there john and and i think part of that is just having a really good pipe and yeah. and i think that's what we do so also dpoe docs is provisioning over ethernet with uh, brian brought up you know i think that's an easy way that you can go from being a just a cable pro- provider to being a fiber provider at the same time and having really good, into those greenfield networks so there's lots of ways you can do it if you're a cable operator and you want to get into fiber it's not that difficult to do. So yeah, there was uh, some customers I have in Europe doing uh, still doing RFOG, RF over glass. Yeah. It's about to call it Depon. Doxus provisioning. No, Doxus passive optical network. Okay. Depon. So Doxus passive optical network or RFOG, RF over glass. And the only pitfall to RF over glass would be I have not seen an ONT above 85 megahertz. I haven't seen a 204 ONT. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Maybe they'll make one. But I also know that we don't support OFDMA, DOCSIS 3.1, on an RFOG network. Yes. And and the interesting things we found, and, and you could appreciate this one, OFDMA doesn't burst up the whole OFDMA channel. Mm-hmm. I think we might have brought this up before. We talked last week about, yeah, it just doesn't yeah. work with our fog. Yeah. They don't play it, well it together. Up in 400 kilohertz at a time. So if an individual modem bursts up one mini slot of 400 kilohertz and it doesn't burst up the whole 96 megahertz, if it, if it was a full OFDMA channel. Not enough power, energy. The power, yeah. 
10 times the log of 96 divided by 0.4. Yeah. You do the math, it's like off by 16 dB. And so, so the laser never turns on. Yes, in, in the in, exactly. the in the device, that, that laser never turns on, doesn't see the energy. And so yeah. it's like a tree in the woods falls. You ever hear it? Yeah. <laughs> and the real big problem is for our fog, you want only one laser at a time to turn on. So what happens if I use one mini slot and you use one mini slot? So we're on at the same instant in time. That's now we have OBI, optical bead interference. Yeah, so yeah, it's a, optical it's a, collision. It's a double-edged sword. All right, John. Anything else in this topic? I think we've covered it well. So Wi-Fi 6, DPE, DOCS 3.1. Yeah, I think we hit all the high. did. So, John, I think our, our next podcast is, uh, what's the date, Mia? Do we have a, no, we don't have a date, but we, we have a, another podcast coming up. Everyone, if you, if you like this podcast, appreciate you watching. Please do hit the subscribe button. And if you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, click that little bell and you'll get an email anytime we upload a podcast or we go live. So, John, appreciate your time. Good information this week. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And we'll be back next what, next month. So long, all. Hey, by the way, oh. do I, don't talk about my Cisco Live. You know, I talked about Cisco Live. My own session was I did recorded three videos. Uh, so I have a video on demand. And it was released uh, last Thursday. And uh, I, I talked about capacity planning, laser clipping because of congestion, analog lasers, and CMTS, what you can do on a CMTS to alleviate or mitigate congestion, and then how to add more capacity. You know, some of it, like we talked about, is Captain Obvious mm-hmm. type of stuff. Just add more capacity, add more 3-1. If it hurts when you do that, don't do that. <laughs> you know, some problems. <laughs> but it's I give actual information like one of them was it's not on by default. When a modem comes online on a Cisco CMTS, the registration quality of service is priority zero. So if you already have a lot of modems online running traffic and you have high congestion, Mm -hmm. the next modem that tries to come online might never get past a NIT D. Right. Because it doesn't have a high priority. So there's a command to change that zero to a seven if you really wanted to. So there's some real, real information that I give customers or people to use, not just, oh, well, think about this. Think about that. I get tired of those, too. You got to think about this. You got to think about that. Well, I did think about this and that. That's why I'm talking to you. (laughs) You know, I want to know what I can do. So do you have links to this that we can watch? So we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, or is it, uh, is it behind a curtain? We can't maybe see. you can maybe you can throw it on the podcast or whatever. Or yeah, if you if you got links, send it to us and, and we'll put it uh, we'll put it in the podcast. All right, I'll make sure that you have it too, so you can put it on and tag it to the podcast or something. All right. So our right. Our, our next podcast, we'll, we'll send us those links. We'll put it in that. Our next podcast is with the uh, CTO of Technetics, which you uh, you you know as well, and we'll be getting him in and talking about some cool things with extended spectrum, mid split high split all kinds of cool technologies on that we're looking for that show so all right that's a wrap guys thanks everyone take care and so long thanks we'll see you